The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Thank you for joining us this morning to our friends and our guests. It's an honor for us to have you here. And we thank you that you've taken the time to be here with us this morning. Thank you, choir, and the folks who participated this morning in the program, from the sound to the slides to the reading to the singing. We certainly appreciate that. And so thankful for the story that has been told thus far. Let me just say to you this morning as we begin that as a church, our opinion is this, that Jesus Christ is worthy. He's worthy of it all. We see him in his beauty, his majesty, his power. But perhaps more than that this morning, we see the beauty of the shame and suffering of Christ. We're amazed by the fact that this Savior would come and that he would die and be a substitute. He would bleed and be tortured and suffer for you and for me. And we stand amazed this morning that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and we proclaim three days later got up again. This is what we believe. This is our opinion this morning. But you and I are fully aware of what people say about opinions. Everyone has opinions. And the truth is, I hope you've lived long enough to understand that not every opinion matters. But people today want to express them through social media. Everyone has one, but there are only a few opinions that really do matter. I was talking to a man this week, and he said, as I've lived my life, I've tried to keep these two rules in play. Whenever I was going to make a decision, I'd ask the first question would be this. What would my father think of what I'm about to do or say? And and that's a great rule if you have parents full of integrity, honesty, and character. Maybe not so great if your parents are not that. But the other rule is this. Should I say or do this, what would he think? Which is a far greater um, gauge on what we should do because the fact is, The only opinion that ever does or ever will matter is the opinion of the God and sovereign Lord of the universe. And so we can say this morning that Jesus Christ is worthy, and we do. But I want you to know that the God of heaven has already chimed in to tell us what he thinks of Jesus Christ, his person, and his work. And this is the opinion that does matter. And so this morning, we're going to look at Isaiah 53. Many of you know and realize that Isaiah 53 was written 700 years before Christ. And in the early days, the Jewish rabbis all pointed to this text, 52, the last three verses, Isaiah 53, and other spots of Isaiah that talked about the servants of the Lord being the Messiah. No one questioned that. Rabbis believed that until the church started talking about it, and then it changed. But early on... The writer John, in his gospel, the 12th chapter, says, listen, Isaiah 53 is all about Jesus Christ. Later, Philip the Evangelist, in Acts chapter 8, again says, Isaiah 53 is about Christ. Paul will go on in Romans chapter 10 and tell us that, yes, Isaiah 53, what we've read, what we've sung about, is all about Christ. And Jesus himself, the night he was betrayed, 
I always think about this as a new covenant of Jeremiah, but he talks about the fact that he would give his life and his blood for many, is referring to himself in Isaiah 53. And so listen to what God says about Jesus Christ. Listen this morning to God's opinion of why Jesus Christ is worthy. Verse number 10 of our text this morning says this, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Notice verse 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Notice how God speaking, after going through the work and the person of Jesus Christ, what he says about Jesus. He says, listen, I will divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. There is a sense of victory, conquest, reward, and value. God is saying, Jesus Christ is worth and worthy of an inheritance and a reward. He has great value. He has great worth. He is worthy of blessing, honor, and glory. And then God does this. He tells us why. Right in the text. Why is Jesus Christ worthy in the eyes of God the Father? He says first, because he poured out his soul onto death. That word poured out literally means he emptied or demolished his soul. It was poured out onto death. Certainly there's this human perspective of the violence of the cross. Again, we were reminded on Friday that the cross was not clean. The cross was not clinical. The cross was violence. And from a human perspective, starting at Gethsemane to Golgotha and not ending until the grave, Jesus Christ, humanly speaking, poured out his soul unto death. I mean, it started in the evening when he was betrayed by Judas and then a mock trial to be spit upon, to be punched, to have a rod smote the top of his head, to take the thorns and to press them into his brow, to be scourged, to be pierced, to have a spear through his side. He poured out his soul unto death. But my friend, don't miss this. There is a divine perspective to the pouring out of his soul unto death. Because the Bible makes it clear that it was the Father, it pleased him to bruise or crush Jesus Christ. And this is the violence of the cross from a divine perspective, that God poured out his wrath against all sin, yours, mine, through all the millennia, on the head of Jesus Christ. And it was so violent that no human being was given the opportunity to witness it. From 12 noon, every place other than Chatham-Kent, the sun is out. From 12 noon to three in the afternoon, the brightest spot of the day. The Bible says, darkness covered 
the Lamb. And in that darkness, Jesus Christ poured out His soul unto death as the wrath of God against your sin and my sin was poured upon Him. And so violent was this that the writer of Isaiah says, He was marred beyond recognition. That when this was done, Christ did not look like a man. He poured out his soul to death, the violence of the cross. But remember this, my friend. It was voluntary. He poured out his soul unto death. No one forced him. No one made him. No one grabbed his arms and had to hold him down on the cross. Listen to what he says in John chapter 10, verse 17. And again, just so that you know, Jesus acknowledges the Father does love him. The Father sees his value and worth because he says, this is why the Father loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man takes it from me. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. And Jesus Christ voluntarily laid his life down for you and for me. He gave up the independent exercise of his will to the will of the Father. Jesus Christ this morning is worthy of all blessing and glory and honor because he poured out his soul into death. But the writer in Isaiah, again, giving God's perspective, tells us there's a second reason. It says that he was numbered or counted with the transgressors. I think we need to understand that he is not counted merely among the saints, but rather primarily among sinners who need only what he can offer. This morning, if you're not the church type of person, and in your heart and your mind, you disdain the self-righteousness that sometimes comes to light in religious circles, or the religious prig that's like better or holier than thou, if that's you this morning, you would be in good company with Jesus Christ. Because he had no time for the self-righteous, ever. Ever. A matter of fact, they were uncomfortable in his presence. But you know who he did hang around? He he hung around some folks that the church lady would raise her eyebrow about. Because he was comfortable with prostitutes. He was comfortable with tax collectors. At that time, the dirtiest, vilest, they were treasonous. They were hated, and Christ had dinner with them. He was comfortable with the diseased and the dirty, the rejected, the ostracized, the outsider, the outcast. He was comfortable with them. He was numbered with transgressors. Jesus is good with sinners. He's comfortable there. Why? Because he came to seek and save the lost. This is our Savior. He was numbered with the transgressors in his life, and he was numbered with the transgressors in his death. You've seen the artist's renditions of the cross and the, the thieves on both sides. There's a reason for that. The Roman government and the Jewish leaders wanted people to say, this guy is a criminal. 
he is numbered with transgressors. Obviously, he has done something wrong. He was sentenced to death in the sight of the whole world. He is not now the Lord of glory, but a vile, cursed criminal. You know, I'm sure that we have people sometimes that we say, well, I wouldn't associate with those people. And I'm not talking about people who are evil and a bad influence. But sometimes we have this idea of, oh, those people. And we mean anybody who's not like us. Right? Uh, Here's the problem. We're all the same, man. We are all the same. Those people from that side of town or on the other side of the track or that social bracket or status or educational or economic, whatever, those people, listen to me, those people are your people, are my people, because we are all sinful human beings. All of us. We're in the same boat. Not Jesus. The perfect, spotless Lamb of God is numbered with transgressors. And God says, you are worthy to receive honor and glory and blessing. Back in Isaiah, we have a third reason the Father gives for the worth of Jesus Christ. And he says this, because he has borne the sin of many. Now listen, some of you now are going to be tempted to check out because I used the S word. I said sin. It's like, oh, that's archaic. That's a Bible thumper. You know, we don't want to hear that. We are so removed from that. But bear with me if you would. Because the Bible uses the word sin. And what it means is that I've missed the mark. I have fallen short. The Bible uses other words to describe us as well. As transgressors. Which means that I break trust. Not completely honest, or been given something to do that I've not done, or iniquity, which means crooked behavior. And I submit to you this morning that these are good words that show us the deep and profound diagnosis of human behavior. You say this morning, don't project your moral standard on me. Don't you know that morality is arbitrary and what? Stop for a minute. There is something innate in all of human nature that knows that there is truth, there is goodness. And you can argue and fuss and scream and kick about it, but the fact is, in your soul, you already know that there is right and there is wrong. And you betray yourself every time you use words like this. You ought not do that. The atheist this morning says, you ought not do that. But why? Why should you not do that? Whether they realize it or not, what they're saying is, there is a standard of human behavior. Call it what you want, moral law. It's out there. You ought not do that. How would you like that if they did that to you? Parent ever say that to your kids? You You ought not bully her. You ought not cut in line. Especially in front of me. You ought to keep your promise. 
Where does that come from? Why do we say that? Because whether you like it or not, there is a standard of human behavior, and we all have it in our hearts. We know, and it can change and fluctuate, granted, but you know that there must be a standard of goodness, and call it what you want. If I'm saying, you ought not do this, or you ought to do this, I am appealing to some moral standard. There's got to be some goodness that is holy, that's righteous, that is just, that is kind, that is good, that is tender, that is loving, that is humble. My friend, there is. And we call him God. And you are created in his image. And so now listen to me with that in mind, that there is absolute goodness, there is a standard. Now words like missing the mark, broken trust, Crooked behavior, this hits a little closer to home. We're created in his image and we are nothing like him. The fact is, we have standards what people should do, and most of the time, we don't do them ourselves, if we're honest. Right? You ought to be fair, but I don't have to. We are nothing like him. We are unholy this morning. We are unholy in our thoughts and our actions. We lust after things and people that are not ours. And you can do it as they walk by, or you can do it in the privacy of your own room on your computer. We are unholy people. And we, we now laugh at things we would have never laughed at ten years ago. Never. We talk about things today that we would have never spoken about in mixed company. We're unholy. We are unjust in our dealings. We are always looking to gain at the expense of others, whether it's cutting in line, whether it's ripping somebody off, whether it's not returning the change that was given to me that I didn't deserve, or whether it's running to get the biggest piece of pie for myself. We are unjust people. Not only that, we are hateful. There is hate in our hearts. We hate and despise people that we don't even know. I'd never do that. Check out your Facebook feed. You might do that. And there's anger within us. If if you've ever had this experience, and you probably haven't, this might just be me, but driving down the 401 and someone is in the slow lane. And I mean slow like the speed limit. (laughs) And you're in a hurry, and you're behind that car. And what are you doing? You're pounding on the steering wheel. You're screaming. You're yelling. You're hating this person. So you go to the left, which you're not supposed to do, and you pass her up, and you notice she's a sweet old lady, about 100 years old, can't see over the steering wheel. And you pass her up, and you still hate her. Still. Right? That is in there. We label and we categorize and dehumanize, right? If I label you, I don't have to see you as humanity anymore. We're hateful. We're unkind. We use our words as weapons. We spew out garbage and gossip and lies, and we cut and hurt living souls. And, and listen, I'm talking to everybody. Parents, how many of us have regrets for things we've said to our kids that once they came out, we could never get back? I got to tell you, kids 30 years later, they remember. So don't sit here on your high horse acting like none of these things apply to you. 
They apply to all of us. I'm making the point. We are not what we think. We are full of pride. It's always lifting ourselves up, constantly competing with others, whether it's our spouses or someone else, a stranger, whether it's face-to-face or Facebook, we do this. We are a mess. And the Bible is right. Everyone in this room, we have missed the mark. We have betrayed the trust. We've broken it. We have crooked behavior. You and I have sinned against a holy, righteous, good God. And now, be careful. Because some of you will sit here and say, oh, okay, 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 I'll give it. Maybe there is a good God out there, maybe. And certainly, I'm not perfect. But you now are banking that this good God is going to be safe for you. And I want you to listen to me now closely this morning. The very thing that you're banking on, the goodness of God, for the comfort of your soul, will be the very thing that condemns you to hell. Because if God is good, if he's good, then this God must deal with the cancer of sin. Because sin affects and infects everything. And you know this in your own heart and life. Our sin of anger and pride and lust and greed, it just grows. And it's gross. And it doesn't stop. And I would submit to you, I don't think it stops in hell either. There's a story in Luke chapter 16 of a rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was a beggar outside of his gates. And the rich man, they both died. The Bible says in hell, the rich man looked up in hell. And then you would think he would be begging for mercy. And God, I'm sorry, what does he do? He still has the same attitude about Lazarus. Tell that guy to get me something to drink. No change. And because God is good, God will take this disease of sin and put it where it belongs forever in a place called hell. Because he's good. And listen, the more I live, the things I hear like this morning, the evil in our world, the evil in our hearts, after a while, you understand that God will be just when he judges this planet. He will. And the very thing that you're banking on this morning... It was Lewis who said, God's goodness can be your greatest safety or your greatest danger. And I'm telling you this morning, his goodness, if you're banking on that and you think you're okay, will be your greatest danger because he is good, he will judge sin, and because he is just, no one gets off the hook. Nobody. Not the pastor, not the pope, not the prostitute, not the Presbyterian. Not in the same boat, I'm just using the peas. Okay? <laughs> if you're a Presbyterian, we love you. That's not the po- a pastor, Pope, they all go together. Right? The point is no one gets off the hook. No one. He is just. And so this morning, listen to me. If you're counting on God's goodness and your whatever, name it my religion, my baptism, my parents, my benevolence doing the right thing, been in church my whole life, that goodness will be your greatest danger. Because God will judge. You have to ask, all the things we heard this morning, why the cross? Because the cross is the only way. Sin must be paid for. 
we owed a debt we could not pay. And that debt gets bigger and bigger every day. He paid a debt he did not owe. And the goodness of God can be our greatest safety. Why? Because he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He paid the debt. God laid on him the personal sin and guilt of all of us. He's removed it as far as the east is from the west. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, rescued, redeemed, purchased, bought back. If I confess with my mouth, believe in my heart, I can be saved. And listen to me. This is a glorious truth. Not just saved from the penalty of sin, which we all need, all of us, but saved from the power of sin. Jesus Christ came to save his people from their sins. And those who repent and believe have eternal life now. And in the gospel, listen to me, I don't have to be what I used to be. The power of Jesus Christ can give me true life. I don't have to be part of this nasty, ugly, wicked, bitter, disgusting world. I can be the man. You can be the woman that God has called you to be. You can experience true humanity, loving God and loving others the way he designed it to be. That's the church of Jesus Christ. There is freedom in Christ. When Christ came forth from the tomb, it says, He purchased my freedom, and He purchased it for eternity, and He purchased it for today. For today. It's, my friend, it's the best deal you'll ever hear. The best deal you will ever hear. And He is worthy. Um, I, I won't go into this, but you can look at it. Isaiah 55, many of you know the scripture there. Um, we quote it all the time. The word of the Lord will go forth. It will not return void. It will accomplish what he wants. Um, his ways are above our ways. But at the end of that chapter, you will notice that what God's word does in the lives of his people is it takes the briars and the thorns of our lives that hurt and scar and mar, and he turns us from thorn bushes into beautiful trees. This is the glory of Christ. There's one more reason that God gives why the Son is worthy. Um, but the truth is, as we think about the first three, that he poured out his soul into death, he was numbered with the transgressors, and finally he bore the sins of many. That leaves us in a tomb. Right? Those acts in the past mean that Jesus Christ actually died. So, the fourth thing he says in Isaiah chapter 53, why Christ is worthy, does not make sense. Because here's what he says. Look right. He says right here. Um, he makes intercession for transgressors. Now listen to me. That doesn't make sense. Especially when you understand the verb there, which means he continues to make intercession that's, that's senseless. Unless, unless, three days later, Jesus Christ got up. And then, that makes all the sense in the world. Does it not? That our Savior rose again, He's alive and well, and He's on the loose today. And the truth is, He is alive for the believer, making intercession. He is pleading my case before the Father. He, when I blow it as a believer, Jesus Christ is standing before the Father saying, yeah, that one's mine. Yeah, that one's mine. And, and Lord, I know 
he's guilty. I know he sinned, but I paid the price. I shed my blood. And Lord, so I'm asking not to see him. Father, see me. Pure, holy righteousness. This is our position in Christ. This is why I can't keep myself. I can't hold on. No, Jesus Christ is holding on to me. He is making intercession for me before the Father. My security is based on him. That's why even when I condemn myself, like Paul said, who shall lay anything at the charge of God's elect? Romans chapter 8. It is God who justifies. Who shall condemn? It is Christ who died. Yea, rather, who rose again. Who is at the right hand of God. Who lives to make intercession for us. So listen, believer, as much as we long for those who don't know Christ to know Christ, we should glory in the fact that he is worthy because he is making intercession for us right now. And as he is representing us before the Father, we should reflect him on this earth. Where he's planted you in your homes, in your families, in your neighborhood, at your work. And as he pleads my case, I need to show forth his praises. And so this morning, listen to me. I started by saying, here's our opinion as a church. We believe Jesus Christ is worthy. But I have great confidence now. Because God the Father says, he is worthy. And he's worthy this morning because he poured out his soul unto death. Which means, for those in Christ, my soul will never die eternally. He was numbered with the transgressors so that you and I can be numbered with the saints. That's a strange thing, right? Some of us from Catholic backgrounds are like, well, a saint, you know, you've got to wait 800 years or whatever, a saint. And, uh, but that's not what God says. God says his people are sanctified. They're set apart. They are saints. I have no problem with St. Kim. I can understand St. Kim, St. Rick. I have trouble with. St. Ian, I can't even understand. (laughs) But it's true. It doesn't matter what I think. Because he was numbered with transgressors, I am numbered with the saints. Because he bore our sins, listen, believer, I will never be called to the judgment bar of Christ because he bore all my sin. All of it. I'm free today. And he makes intercession, I've received all the blessings and grace from Christ. We sang a song this morning, a great song, How Deep the Father's Love. And I love the last line. It says, Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. Believer, really, think. Why should I Gain from his reward. There is no reason. I was thinking about um, Francis Thomas's uh, poem, The Hound of Heaven. In that poem, he says, I fled, I fled, I fled. That God was pursuing him, and he fled. And then he says in that poem about the Savior, the Hound of Heaven, unhurrying chase, unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy that Christ pursued him. And if you look back on your life, believer, and just think, you will see times in your life when you weren't interested, when you're going a different direction, when it was the last thing on your mind, but Jesus Christ pursued you. And what 
John said in Isaiah, he will have his reward. He will. He, he hunts you down. The Father loved you that he sent the Son, and the Son pursues us. It's a beautiful thing, and so we should rejoice in that. Now, if you're here this morning without Christ, and you're trusting in anything or everything other than him, let me just speak to you for a moment. You're not safe. Pastor Dan talked on Friday. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. If there's not peace with God, I don't care how you feel inside. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care if you've grown up in church, if your dad's a pastor. It doesn't matter. You pray to pray. Listen, there is no peace unless you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, there are lots of reasons to come to Christ today. Lots of reasons. Number one, you're condemned to hell. Christ, and you, listen, Christ came not to condemn us because we're condemned already. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We daily turn from him. Christ came to save us, and that's what he's done. You should come to Christ because we were condemned. You should come to Christ because he is the only one that makes reconciliation with the Father. You should come to Christ because he's the only one that can rescue you. Those are all good reasons, but may I submit this morning, That if you don't know Christ today, you should come because he is worthy. He is worthy. He poured out his soul to death for you. He was numbered with transgressors for you. He bore your sin. He is worthy. And so I invite you today, if you don't know him, to trust our worthy Savior. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for all that we've seen. We thank you that Jesus Christ is worthy, and may we praise him in a way this morning that is uh, acceptable and pleasing in your eyes. Thank you for our great God and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.